Thanks for joining us at Warehouse Church. We would love for you to stay connected, and a great way for you to do that is to simply subscribe to this podcast. You can also stay connected throughout the week by checking out our website, warehousechurch.com, or by visiting our Facebook or Instagram pages. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. How many, do we have any baseball fans in the house? Let me hear you this morning, baseball fans. I'm not preaching on baseball, don't worry. It's just a cool name for our theme uh, that we're going to be doing this month. I'm so glad to see you this morning, church, and it is such a, what a beautiful, beautiful uh, weekend we had. Kim and I did absolutely nothing yesterday. Uh, We stayed at home and relaxed and just spent the day together and had such a super, super day, kind of getting our hearts prepared and our uh, lives prepared for what the Lord would do in his house this morning. And we're really glad that you're here, uh, uh, parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends that are here uh, for the baby dedication. We applaud you. We thank you for coming and supporting your family members this morning, and we hope you'll be encouraged by what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I'm a big, I am a big baseball fan. I'm going to use a little bit, talk about it a little bit just as way of introduction uh, for my sermon this morning and for the series we're going to be doing. Some of you may know, some of you may not know that right after the Super Bowl, pitchers and catchers reported to their spring training places. And I kind of, I'm, I, I really like baseball. I was raised uh, in a home that kind of watched all sports. And we're big Philadelphia Phillies fans, as you probably have heard once or twice. But um, I remember growing up and, and being very excited about the, the spring. It's a little different for us now that we live in Texas. And we've been here five years now. Uh, we have pictures of my, my wife and I taking our kids to April games with coats and hats and earmuffs and gloves on. Uh, and that's going to be new here because now not only, you know, living in Texas is so much warmer, but now with that new beautiful stadium, I'm very, very excited to go to the new stadium and, and, to watch, and, and the Philadelphia Phillies are actually playing in Texas this year, so we may be taking off that Sunday. I'm not really sure, but... Um, the neat thing about spring training that happens is, I, you, many of you know and probably played Little League Baseball at some level or another, that um, the coaches are a very vital part of that, of that time in spring training and, and, and going through the time where they find out the guys are going to keep, the guys are going to cut, you know, kind of get a, a, a month or so before the actual season starts of how you can train guys in different areas. They, and there's so many coaches now, there's... Uh, there's batting coaches, and there's defensive coaches, and there's bench coaches, and there's the manager and themselves. But they all learn under the tutelage of guys that have kind of made themselves an expert of the game. They study the game. They watch the game. And they tell these guys how they can be better at their positions or how they can be better batting or pitching or whatever it is. And the one thing about coaching, you always want to make sure that you have, you want to make sure that you have uh, somebody with experience that's an expert that can exemplify what they're teaching about and uh, teach them to be better at at what they're supposed to be doing. And we're gonna take this principle this month and understand uh, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how Jesus trained a group of men that the Bible describes in the book of Acts would turn their world upside down for Jesus Christ. And he took some guys where he saw uh, the, the, he saw something that nobody else saw in them, and that was leadership potential. When you look at the 12 disciples specifically and the guys that, that Jesus trained, and we're going to look at different levels of training that took place today that Jesus did, 
with his disciples and different people that he trained. But when you look at kind of his, his methodology and what he did, he saw things in people that nobody else saw. He saw that diamond in the rough. He saw guys that had crazy potential, crazy leadership potential, unassuming guys. If you think just about, in particular, uh, the guys that were fishermen, guys like Peter, James, and John, and some of the other guys, Bartholomew, that were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, you guys leave your nets, come follow me, and I'm gonna make you fishers of men. And, and they were compelled to follow Jesus. And not only did they follow Jesus and watch some unbelievable miracles on a daily basis that Jesus performed, the, the greatest thing that happened, and, and I can't even imagine all the things. The Bible says this in the book of John, that there aren't enough volumes in the world to, to, to contain all the words and the works that Jesus performed when he was here on the earth. And if you think about this, the disciples were there for just about all of it. They were there when Jesus said, hey, roll that stone away, Lazarus, come forth. And they were there when, when the stone was rolled back and they, they recognized that smell of death that came out of it. And this dead dude came walking out who was all wrapped up, treated, uh, mummified, if you will. And Lazarus came, they saw Lazarus rise from the dead. They saw that happen. They were there when Jesus told those disciples, they said, listen, we gotta feed these people today. And, and they said, well, we don't have hardly anything to give them, just a few loaves of bread and some fish from this boy over here. And then Jesus taught them some, some leadership principles that day. They said, okay, let's sit them down and organize them in groups of 50 and 100. And Jesus prayed and broke the bread and, and divided the fish up. And the Bible said that 5,000 men plus their wives plus their children were all fed, they were filled, and there was 12 baskets of food that were left over afterwards. Not only did the disciples see that, they participated in that, in that miracle. And miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle that they saw just in awe of Jesus' power every single day. But I think if we were to interview or talk to one of the disciples today, probably the most special part of that time that Jesus had with them was sitting around a campfire at night. And they would say to Jesus, so tell me about creation, like what happened you know, we know that, that, that everything appeared and you spoke that into existence, but you told John that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the same was in the beginning and help us understand eternity past. Help us understand what heaven is like. Help us understand some of the things that you taught today because, and there's many passages in the, in the Gospels where they would say to Jesus, hey, remember when you said this, this, and this? Yeah, we were listening, but we really didn't fully get what you were saying. And Jesus would make this statement multiple times through the Gospels, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I wonder how many times as I read that passage of different passages where he is speaking into his disciples, speaking words of life, speaking truth, life lessons, character lessons, integrity lessons, fatherly lessons, brotherhood lessons, servanthood lessons, all the things that they learned. I wonder how many times where Jesus had to go, okay guys, listen up. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, because I wonder, and maybe they were distracted good, you know? Jesus is giving them these words of life, these great things of encouragement, and, and maybe Peter saying to John, dude, I know what he's saying is real, but we saw a dead guy walk today. Can we talk about that for a second, right? Can we, can we kind of understand that a little bit more? Because we've never seen anything like that before. So Jesus had a leadership strategy when he was coaching his disciples in the many different levels of constituency that he had when he was here on the earth. 
I'm going to read this verse to you. <coughs> Out of Hebrews chapter 13, it says this. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life, and listen to this, church. Imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 1, he said to his believers, he was saying to his guys that he was mentoring, follow me as I follow Christ. I wonder this morning, ladies and gentlemen, if you have anybody in your life that you could speak that truth into or speak that word, follow me as I follow Christ. And we're going to try to unpack this a little bit and understand that what, what Jesus' leadership strategy was as he was leading his disciples when he was here on the earth uh, during his ministry of three years, three and a half years. So the first thing we understand about Jesus' strategy of leading, the first thing he did, and he did really, really good, is he led himself. Now let's be real honest this morning, Jesus had a huge unfair advantage over being a great leader in somebody's life that we don't have in that he was God, and he is God. He's not only God's son, 100% flesh, 100% man, but at the same time, he was 100% God here on earth uh, to lead not only his disciples, but all the people that he exposed him, uh, his ministry to. And if you think about that this morning, if you're gonna lead other people, the first thing that you and I need to learn how to do is to lead ourselves. Um, if you think about this this morning, I talked about how coaches are experts, and in order for a batting coach to teach a, a guy that's a baseball player that's a hitter to be a good batter, that batting coach has to know something about hitting, right? I, I, I crack up sometimes. Uh, all of us have, have, have so many different people that we connect with on social media. I have a friend of mine uh, back in Philadelphia, and uh, if he watches our service this morning, uh, I will apologize to you, but I'm not using your name, so it's okay. So it's not gossip, right? But uh, he just became a life coach, and I, and I applaud him for that. I mean, that's really, really good. The problem is... All of his stuff on his Facebook feed is donuts and McDonald's, and, and, and he's a big dude. Like, he has me by like 100 pounds, and he said, I'm going to help people get healthy while I get healthy. And my only thought to that is, before you teach people to get healthy, maybe you should get healthy first. Does that make a little bit of sense, right? And if you think about that spiritually this morning, right, is the responsibility that we have, just like all these parents, man, what a daunting responsibility as they mark themselves as moms and dads that want to raise their kids to know and to love Jesus Christ. Well, moms and dads, can I say this to you this morning? We're going to help you. There's not a perfect person in this church that's better than you or perfect in any way. Somebody say amen to that, okay? But here's the thing. It does start with you. Because the crazy thing about raising kids, it's a, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a very hard thing sometimes. As much as all the parents had the beautiful outfits and the kids looked perfect and the moms and dads were dressed nice, your kids know you better than we do, right? They know your shortcomings. They know what you get mad at. They're going to know your faults and your failures just about better than anybody else is. And to think that these people that know us so good we are responsible to teach them about Jesus Christ. What a huge responsibility. That's why we need all of us together, working together to help you accomplish that. But in order for you to lead other people, one of the things we all have to learn uh, to do is to lead ourselves. 
Uh, Jesus understood the importance of being alone. He was, as lo- he was alone when he needed to. Matthew chapter 14, it says, and after he dismissed them away, he went up into the mountainside to pray, and later that night, he was there alone. Can I, can I share something with you this morning? There's no better leadership lesson than you can learn than this kind of take yourselves away from everybody else, quiet the noise, be still and know that he is God and try to listen to God's voice, read his word, pray with him, pray to him, and just be silent and wait for God to speak to your heart. Because it's very difficult to lead people spiritually if you're empty. And, and Jesus, as God's son, right? I mean, he's God's son. He's God in the flesh. But even he, the perfect son of God, needed to take himself away every once in a while and stay connected to God. We do that through our groups. We do that by coming to church this morning, and I applaud you for that. But I want you to know something. If, if the extent of your spiritual growth in your life happens only when you come to church, then I, I hate to tell you this, I'm, I don't want to underestimate the value of speaking God's word into your lives, but you are going to be a very, very hungry, if not starving Christian. You need God every single day. And maybe today should be more about not just worshiping the Lord, but kind of being reminded of all that we did this week and all that we should have done this week and the the scriptures that we read or the time that we prayed or the times that we were spending some one-on-one time with the Lord. I hope this isn't the only time that you spend with God this week. Jesus led himself. He was alone when he was needed. Jesus won, and I, I, boy, wouldn't that be great if we could all say this all the time? Jesus won his private battles with Satan. He won his private battles with Satan. Matthew chapter four talks about the temptation of Jesus Christ. It says in verse one that Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he was tempted and he withstood those three temptations in the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life uh, areas that we struggle with, the Bible says the devil left him and the angels came and they attended to him. Jesus won that battle that day against Satan. I'm challenged by that because can I tell you something that happens in my life every single day of the week? I'm in a battle with Satan. But here's the truth, church. All of us are. This is not just like Ed who's like, you know, carrying this this flame sword yielding the forces of evil by himself. The Bible says that you and I every single day are in spiritual warfare. We don't fight against flesh and blood. Even though we kind of argue with each other and fight sometimes, we fight against spiritual wickedness in high places, the Bible teaches us. And we have to understand that we're gonna go through personal battles every single day. And if you're, parents, if you're gonna teach your kids the, earth, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, if you're gonna teach them how to live a victorious Christian life, guess what that means? You have to learn how to live a victorious Christian life. If you're gonna teach your kids when they go to school to kind of be careful of some of the temptations that are out there, and it's hard because, you know, we kind of do that. We kind of do that thing where we are telling our kids, "Do as I say, not as I did." Right? When you get a little bit older, like none of none of you want all of your kids to know all the stuff you did in high school. Somebody say amen to that. And we don't want them to know all that stuff, right? The truth of the matter is, though, that when we're teaching our kids to do what Paul said in First Corinthians eleven one, follow me. As I follow Christ, we're teaching them how to withstand temptations, but we're also teaching them how to make things right when we mess up, how to apologize, how to make things right with one another and making things right with God. Jesus 
as he led himself, we understand that the foundation of his influence was Jesus' character and his care. His character and his care. And the Bible tells us plainly in, first, in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5, when it comes to all your relationships with other people, live like Jesus. Have the mindset or the lifestyle of Jesus Christ, it says in Philippians 2, verse number 5. God loved the world. God's patient with us. God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come into repentance. God loves us just the way that we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way, right? And when you think about raising kids or, or, or as you're mentoring or, or possibly even, Lord willing, discipling somebody, you're teaching them things that you've learned while you're still learning, while you're still learning. So Jesus led himself well. And that's really the foundation. If you're gonna disciple people, lead people, lead a group, uh, lead your own home, the first thing, mom and dad, that you need to do well is to lead yourself. Here's the second thing that we understand about Jesus' leadership. Uh, his strategy was he confided in three people. Uh, he took them away on special outings. Matthew 17, one says that after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, who was the brother of James, and led them up into a mountain uh, by themselves so he could be with them. They ministered to him. Uh, he allowed them to witness his glory. It tells us in Mark chapter nine, after six days he took Peter, James, and John, led them into a mount, led them up to a mount where they were alone. There he was changed or transfigured right before their eyes. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anything or anyone in the world could even bleach them to be. Uh, he allowed Peter, James, and John to witness his glory. He kind of let them see the inner side of Jesus closer than anybody else was. Uh, Jesus let them see when he was being tempted. In Mark chapter 14, when Jesus was praying in the garden before he was to be taken away to be crucified, he took Peter, James, and John, and he was distressed and he was troubled. He said, guys, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of sorrow and death. He said, stay here, stay close to me, watch and pray. Now we understand that these guys fell asleep you know, because they were, they were human beings that didn't understand the seriousness of that moment. But those were guys that Jesus called when he needed somebody the most. Let me ask you that question. First of all, do you have somebody like that in your life? When you're going through the valley of the shadow of death or when you're going through yucky stuff that you could call up and say, hey man, I can't explain it all to you right now, but I'm going through something. Could you please pray for me? Uh, and, and secondly, do you not only, are you not only like that for someone, and do you have someone like that in your life? Does anybody call you and say, man, I, I trust in your relationship with the Lord. I trust in your care for me. I trust in your discretion. Can I trust you with something very personal? Will you please pray for me? You see, as Jesus, even as God in the flesh, was, was here on the earth, uh, representing heaven's splendor and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus was close to people that he needed to be close to. Boy, and the Bible talks so much about, in Proverbs, it talks about that iron, in Proverbs 17, 17, that iron sharpens iron and so does a man sharpen or a person sharpen the countenance of their friends. Uh, Jesus said, greater love is no man than this, and a man laid down his life for his who? For his friends. Do you have somebody like that in your life? Are you like that for somebody in their lives? Jesus let them see his deepest temptations. You know what else Jesus did? He prayed with them. Luke 9, 28, eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, James, and John, 
and they went to the mountain together and they prayed. You, you, prayer's kind of an interesting thing and we, you know, we talk about it, we're, we're kind of supposed to do it. I think for a lot of people, and I'm not saying this in a way in a condescending tone, but I think a lot of times when we pray, we, we kind of pray when we're supposed to pray, not necessarily when we really need to pray. Here, here's what I mean by that. Like we pray before we eat, you know, most, most Christians will do that. Um, and, and you'll see in restaurants at other believers, when you see other families that are Christian families, and you know, I think it's wonderful. They hold hands or they, they do whatever they gotta do uh, to just offer up a prayer of thanksgiving, uh, which, is, which is significant because uh, you know, Jesus told us when we pray to thank God for even our daily bread, the food that we have today. But you know, sometimes we, we pray and we're supposed to, right? When we come to church, we're supposed to pray. When we dedicate our babies to the Lord, we're gonna say a prayer of dedication over the babies. When we, when we take part in the last part of our worship this morning, when we receive our, 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 our offering this morning to the Lord and, and we share in that time together, we'll pray and we'll ask God to multiply, to meet the needs of the church, our community and all over the world. And we pray when, when things are tough. Um, you know, we, we, we had a, a family reach out to us this week that's, that's a missionary family in China and they asked us to pray uh, because the coronavirus thing is very, very real to them. And they're trying to figure all that out. And we're all freaked out by it. And the news has us freaked out by it. When like less than one, one thousandth of the percentage of people in this world will actually ever get it or have it. But man, we sure get, it's almost like we're hungry for bad news sometimes. What's going on? How can we panic? And listen, wash your hands. Do what you're supposed to do. Stay clean. I disagree with something I read yesterday. It said this in this article. And I read this article of how to stop the coronavirus from infecting your family. You know what one of the top 10 points was? Shave your beard. Shave your beard. That's what it said. I'm not doing it, but I'm just gonna put the antiseptic gel in my beard every day so you're safe, okay? But it's given all these things, how to stop the coronavirus from coming here. And it's a real thing. And this missionary, when he said to me, hey, listen, it's in our area. We know families infected by it. Please pray that God will use us to give people comfort and peace during this time, right? Uh, praying is a very significant thing, but it seems like maybe the times we need to pray the most are the times we don't pray, like when we're being tempted, or when we're really praying for God's provision, or when we're just praying just to thank God for his goodness in our life, and thank God for salvation, and thank God for great church, and great friends, and great people in our lives that he's blessed us with. Jesus prayed with these guys. Let me ask you a question about prayer, and I'll move on to the next thing. What would it be like if somebody who you worked to that you didn't know went to church said, hey man, would you, would you please pray for me in this area of my life? Would it shock you? Would it shock others that they asked you? Maybe prayer is something we could all do a little bit more of this morning. Jesus prayed with those guys that he was really close to. But he, he was not only close to three people, we all understand that he had a, a very intimate, close relationship with the 12 disciples as well. The Bible tells us in the book of Mark that he chose them, he called them, he invested in them daily. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 8, it says, we cared about you because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Jesus poured his life into those disciples on a daily basis. He empowered them. In John chapter 14, it says, 
Truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've called them to do, that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to my Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that my Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything. He said that to his disciples, and he says that to you and I, empowering us to do great things for him. Ask anything in my name, and I will do it. He gave them the power to do what? To turn the world upside down for him. He empowered them. He blessed them. He gave them the ability not only to share the gospel, but these disciples to do miracles and to speak truths. But Jesus also invested himself in a group of about 70 believers as well. He mobilized 70 people. So you kind of see he really was very intimately close to three. He had a very close relationship with the 12. Uh, He also called 70 other people. Luke chapter 10, it says, Uh, that Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like a lightning from heaven, and I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, (coughs) excuse me, and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He has these 70 people that he sent out two by two for a big commitment. He sent them out two by two so that they wouldn't be alone. He told them to expect opposition, just like he tells us the same thing, just as the world doesn't, doesn't follow me, it's not gonna follow you. Just as the world hates me, he's gonna, some of the world is gonna hate you as well. And really, Jesus didn't even promise them an earthly reward. What he promised them was, was a heavenly reward and how he was gonna bless them and their names will be blessed and, and God was gonna use them to do great things. But Jesus also taught the multitudes. He taught the multitudes. You think about being one of those moms or dads when Jesus fed not only those 5,000 men, but their wives and their children. The impact that had on a family that may have been kind of living a third world country life, getting their food on a daily basis, right? Taking care of their kids daily just as they had the provision to be able to do so. He taught the multitudes by how? He met their needs and he loved them. So if you look at the number of people, 587 people basically, I mean, it's, I'm sure... There's a, there's, there's a bigger number than that, but if you read the Gospels, it kind of gives you the idea that Jesus personally, one-on-one impacted just under 600 people through his own teachings and his own lessons. But the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 17, those who have turned the world upside down have come here together. They turned the world upside down. In Acts chapter two, Jesus reached about 600 people. In Acts chapter two, the Bible tells us that thousands of people were saved, and they were not only saved that day, but they were being added to the church daily. Later in the book of Acts, we see another 5,000 people getting saved. Later in the book of Acts, you see another group of two or 3,000 people getting saved, and workers going out all over the world, sharing the gospel, sharing the message of Jesus, sharing the message of salvation, teaching us how to lead people. And you know what you and I are today? direct descendants of the discipleship of Jesus to his disciples. We could trace our Christian lineage all the way back to Jesus and his three, Jesus and the 12, Jesus and the 70, and Jesus and the multitude. So I wanna ask you these questions to consider this morning as we kind of go into a, uh, a time of prayer. Who are you surrounded by this morning? Who are you surrounded? My, I have a friend who's an evangelist, and his name is Jamie Ragel. Some of you guys have heard of him, or we had him a few years ago. And he makes this statement about friendship. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. 
because we really are identified by the people that we spend the most time with. We start to take on their characteristics. We start to take on uh, some of their value systems. I like being around people that share the same values as me. Uh, One of our church members this morning posted on Facebook this week, as she does every day, Miss Tammy. And she put, I've invited these three people to church. Who y'all bringing? That means who are you bringing if you don't know what that means. But who y'all bringing to church today, right? And I love that. I went up to her and I celebrated that with her this morning because that's a value that we have in our lives. We invite people to come to church because we want to see people get saved and we want to see our family here at Warehouse Church grow. Uh, Who are you surrounded by? Are you surrounded by people that pick you up, right, that encourage you, that you feel better when you're around them, that you can go to them and count on them to be a a positive influence in your life? Uh, And here's the second question. Not only who are you surrounded by, but here's the second question. Who are you pouring into like Jesus did? He told his disciples to go into all the world, teach the gospel, And he said this, teach them to observe, baptize them, and then teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Next Sunday, I'm excited, we're gonna have baptism right after church, and we do baptism right out in our lobby. We got a very Texas-y horse trough that we use. Trough, how do you say that, Jack? Horse trough that we use. The water's warm, it's exciting, it's fun. And we're gonna watch some people take a step of obedience in their walk with the Lord and identify with Jesus. And that's exciting, I love to see that kind of stuff. I know you will too. I'm also excited that our friends from the Brazilian church are gonna be baptizing that night as well. They're gonna keep, they said keep the water, skim it if it gets dirty, we're baptizing people next Sunday night. And we're excited about that. Uh, we had some friends from our, from our Brazilian ministry that were here this morning helping us with our sound and help us to tweak some things with our sound system and so forth, because we're, we're doing this together. We're doing life, because we have those shared values. We wanna see people saved. We wanna see people baptized. We wanna see people grow in the Lord. But the truth of the matter is, if, if you're not pouring into somebody, if you're not influencing somebody for the sake of the gospel, does that mean the gospel stopped at you? I have, a, I have two brothers and a sister. And my two brothers like reminding me all the time, uh, even though my name is Edward Martin Trinkle Jr., I'm my father's namesake. But the namesake stopped with me because God chose in his sovereign wisdom to bless me with awesome, unbelievable, perfect daughters. And I don't have any sons, so the Trinkle name never, now Christina did me a solid. When she got married, she took her normal, or her regular name that we gave her, her middle name, it was Elizabeth, she ditched that, and now her name is Christina Trinkle Papero. So she literally has the weirdest middle name of anybody in this church, okay? I'm just telling you right now. But the name stopped with me. Like, I didn't produce a male heir for my father, so there was no Edward Martin Trinkle III. And my wife said, thank God, because I don't even like that name. So that probably worked out good for us. But I have two brothers, and both of my brothers have sons. And my brother uh, that's in Houston, his oldest son just had a baby boy. And he called, oh, Ed, guess what? Joey had his baby today, and he had a boy. So I don't want you feeling bad anymore that you couldn't produce a male heir for dad. I did that, and my son did the same thing. The Trinkle name is safe forever. I'm like, yay, congratulations. I'm really, really, really happy for you, right? But it stopped with me. I couldn't do it. After we had Emily, Kim said to the doctor, she said, Doc, 
My, 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 my husband, we love our girls. If we have 10 girls, we'd be great with that. It'd be awesome. But let's be realistic. What's the chances of us having a boy if we have more children? The doctor said, you should stop now because it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> so we stopped. And I have a perfect family of four girls and I'm very, very thankful for it. But there was a day back when I was 12 years old that a guy named Mike Caruselli sat down with me and he opened up his Bible and he taught me what it understood, what it meant to be saved. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That if, that if, we, conf, conf, if, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says in the book of Romans, you'll be saved. And that day, John 3.16 made sense to me. And I prayed and I asked God, and I know 12-year-olds don't have a whole lot of sin that they need to be forgiven for. I probably had more than the normal, I'm sure. But I prayed that day and I asked Jesus to forgive me of all my sins to come into my heart and be my savior. And God changed my life forever because of that. It wasn't perfect, but, but I was changed. And I didn't understand this until I was about 25 years old, that that gift of salvation that was given to me, if I don't share it, that I'm very spiritually selfish. Because I have the words of life that are part of my life now that other people need to hear about. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15, but sanctify or prepare your hearts, right? And be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within you with meekness and fear. Are you ready today to pass on moms and dads, first of all, you, because you dedicated your kids today and we prayed for you and we celebrate you this morning. But are you ready to pass not only your family traditions, not only your family values, not only your family sports teams, not only your family stuff that you do, but are you prepared to pass on to them your spiritual heritage that you receive from either your parents or somebody else? Christians this morning, are you prepared to pass on the spiritual heritage that you receive from, from somebody, from anybody, from a, from a youth leader, from a Sunday school teacher, from a church service, from a television church service, from the radio, from a friend at work, from a friend growing up that taught you about Jesus Christ? Have you taken that gospel and poured it into somebody else too? You see, very simply put this morning, that's exactly what Jesus did. He took what was true in his life and he poured it into other people. That's what we're gonna learn about this month, all the things that he taught those guys that followed him. But I wanted to challenge you this morning and consider this. Who are you leading that would someday come to know Jesus Christ as their personal savior someday? Well, if you're gonna do that, you gotta lead yourself well, and then you can be in a place where you can start leading others to him. I wanna encourage you this morning. Find somebody that you can lead when it comes to the spiritual values that I hope are true about your life this morning. And if not, then let's take a step backwards and start first by leading ourselves the way that we should. Amen, church? Let's pray together. <coughs> Father, this morning, we have all been given such an amazing gift by just having the knowledge that Jesus Christ loved us, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, healed, taught great lessons, empowered, encouraged, discipled his disciples, did all those things. But the Bible teaches us that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and became 
a perfect sacrifice so that we could be restored to God, so that we could have a personal relationship with God. Because all of us, Lord, starting with me, uh, we're born with sin in our lives. And the only way we can be restored to God is by asking for forgiveness and inviting you to be our personal savior. And God, you did that not to make us feel condemned. We were born condemned, the Bible teaches us, John three seventeen. We were born condemned. But you did all that so that we could have a relationship with you. I love that verse. It says, behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should become the sons of God. Your children. Your imperfect children. I don't know if anything's helped me to understand your love for us until I had kids of my own. Where I had people in my life that were, that I was growing and discipling, Lord. Then I understood not only how imperfect I was, but the perfect love that Jesus had for all of us. <coughs> if you're with us this morning, if you never have prayed and asked God to forgive you and to come into your life, you can do that right here. You can make that decision for yourself this morning by calling on the name of the Lord and, and becoming saved today. And the Bible says the way that you do that is you ask Jesus to forgive you, acknowledge your belief in him, invite him to come into your life and save you today. If that's something you want to do right here, right where you're sitting in the quietness of this moment, I would encourage you to pray and invite the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life and save you. And if you want to do that this morning, just pray with me quietly at your seat and say this to our Father in heaven. Just say, Dear Lord, say that to him quietly. Say, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Would you come into my life and save me today? Please forgive me of all my sins and help me to live for you. I believe that you died and I believe that you're alive today. And I put my whole faith and my trust in you this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. And keep your heads bowed and eyes closed and just say amen. And if you prayed with me this morning, we're gonna lead in another prayer too, but if you prayed with me this morning and invited Jesus to come into your heart, I'd like to pray for you. I'm not gonna embarrass you or anything like that, but I'd sure like to remember you this morning. Say, Pastor, I prayed with you. I invited Jesus to come into my heart this morning. I wanna acknowledge that just by lifting my hand straight up in the air. Is that true about anybody this morning? Pastor Ed, I prayed for, with you this morning and I invited Jesus to come into my heart. Anybody like that today? Here's the second question I'll ask you. Next week, we're having a baptism time right after service and we're gonna celebrate with you your relationship with Christ. If you've never been baptized by immersion, not baptized as a baby, and we, that's just like baby dedication. and We honor parents that do that. But baptism based on your decision to become a follower of Christ. If that's something you want to pray about or understand about a little bit better, we could pray for you. Say, Pastor, I pray for me. I believe that I, baptism is something I need to consider, and I'd like you to pray for me this morning. If that's true about you, just lift your hand straight up in the air. God bless you. Anybody else this morning? Pastor, I pray for me. I know I need to be baptized. It's something I want to pray about. Remember me in prayer. Father, we love you. We acknowledge you. We thank you. We pray that you bless every man and woman in this room. Bless our parents that dedicated their babies this morning, Lord. Uh, help us to get behind them, encourage them, rally behind them, and stand with them as they raise their kids to know and to love Jesus. Bless our church, Lord. Help us to do things beyond ourselves. And I pray this week that we would have some, some godly, Jesus-filled influence in somebody's life. And if we're needing that ourselves, that we would search for that 
and, and come talk to me or one of our church leaders and we would help get behind them so they can grow in you. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody say it with me, amen. Awesome. I'm gonna...